0: here and whatever. There's there's also a mic. I'll leave the mic there because you'll just have to share that if that's okay. Okay, just a few questions that have come um, to us and some great questions by the way. Um, But I don't know who we want to go to first of all, but how do you ensure that a church plant or campus both reflect the uniqueness of its leader and carries the heart, the DNA of the central church. Grayson, I wonder if you'd... this
1: um, Everything rises and falls on leadership, as Mr. Maxwell says. So if you've got leaders that you're meeting with regularly, they're going to get your heart. And if they are then going back to lead the campus that you're talking about, then obviously they're going to carry your heart back in there. So it's all down, for me, it's all down to the leader that you put in. So we've had leaders who haven't carried our heart. And then when they've left, we've gone in and found out that the church wasn't what we thought it was. And then we've got leaders who carry our heart. And so when you go there, you feel as if you're in your house rather than visiting a house in that Mm -hmm. sense. So for me, it's always down to the leadership because what is in them will flow down. So for instance, if you've got a, a culture of excellence or you've got a culture of welcome, if your leader doesn't exhibit that, the leader then gives everybody permission not to do it and so the culture depletes and so it feels very different to the other one. So it's, it's keeping all those cultural norms in your leadership team so that then that's transferred into the lower teams and into the people. Great. Is there anything you'd add to that, Rick?
2: Yeah, um, a couple of things. One is um, keeping really strong relational links with the plant. So I was like planting to a teenager leaving home. They just want to leave... Um, they want to do their own thing, they think they can do it better than you, and, um, but they come home occasionally to get money and get, and, uh, get their washing done and get free food. And, so, um, and actually, there's something about a generosity of spirit which is saying, you're welcome to come back. And, and in time, that teenager begins to um, realize, actually, I've got some shared stuff that I appreciate about my family. So that's the first thing. So keeping a strong relational link open, open door. Second thing is um, just talking about values all the time and vision. So a, a sending church will have a vision and values, which um, I'm wanting to impart into the sender, uh, to, the, the, to the planter. And so they will work out how the, how the vision works in their own local context. Um, but, uh, and that might evolve slightly, but it's probably going to be a similar vision because they've grown up with you. And the values, if the values are the same... Actually, the, if you keep talking about those, those will link you to the, right. um, the to the sending church, but also the personality of the leadership will just shine through. And I, for me, I think the lead, you know, the lead, the church will become like its leader. Yes. It'll evolve into those things that you know they're passionate about. But keep talking about the values that are shared between the churches, and then you'll get the you know the both and in that. So wonderful. Yeah. You-
3: with with our situation, we, I am. Um, Uh, we've not planted yet because we are the plant, as it were. Um, But I've I've thought about this. Apparently, I heard from someone that unless a church plants in the first four years of their existence, they probably won't plant. So that's quite a challenge to me as a a new church, because we've got two and a half years now to plant a new church. And I think, as I've thought that through, I've not spoke to my people about this particularly, but um, the way that... The way that I'll ensure that the values that we carry as a church are in the new church is probably, I don't know how this will work out, but I will go and plant the new church. Um, some people might, might say that probably I've not raised up leaders um, who carry the values and DNA that I do. Maybe that's something I need to do, but in my mind at the moment, that's how I, how I feel that we'll do it, is that I'll take a team and plant the new church and leave someone else maybe to lead the congregation that we've established already, possibly.
0: Very good. Just a question to the to the three of you again. There's a, which is a challenge, actually. I smiled to myself when I read the question. Six months into your church uh, plan, what do you actively do to avoid uh, attracting roadkill instead of fresh meat? It's a great question. But it, it, it's fascinating because I know we've had, we've had a navigate our way through that in terms of locally, I just wonder if you could just add anything to that I, I think guys. if you build in something if you, if
1: you grow in grass, sheep will come so it's just a fact um, what you've got to do then though is make sure that the sheep that are coming if they're going to stay, are going to rise up to your level rather than you allow the church to deplete down to okay. their level, yeah. so some people have just been in bad experiences so they're not necessarily roadkill although I know what you mean <laughs> Um, They've been in bad experiences. They've had no leadership. They've had difficult situations. They've been hurt. And sometimes, well, not sometimes, who believe the gospel rescues people and restores people. So your preaching will always be grace and restoration, love and help. But then you also have to challenge attitude. Um, You know, in our last church we did this. Why don't we do it there? Well, you're not in the last church now if you want to come here. So you've got to keep a strong spiritual leadership on that. Uh, and and I find that vision and values actually attract people and repel people so your vision and your values will put people off some of them maybe if you're taking over a church will be the people you're taking over because they say oh this sounds great and then you start talking about your values and they don't like these new values so they start to (laughs) shift but other people then are attracted to the values so you've got to stick with who you are what you are don't worry about who's coming and going just build into the culture and into the leadership team you've got. Allow them to build into others. And then as people come into center, they can either rise out or, if you like, the spin will push them out of what we're doing.
2: Very good. Any other comments, (laughs) Rick? I love the question. (laughs) Um, I mean, there are some people who I welcome coming to the church who are mature Christians and givers, and um, you know they've been a blessing elsewhere. Um, I don't know if that's what... Um, doesn't sound much like roadkill to me. Um, uh, one of the things that we found very quickly in our church plants was that um, people kind of quite liked um, uh, just getting to know each other and building community and um, discipling one another and not looking outwards. And um, they liked, they enjoyed the fellowship with themselves. Yeah. And so quite early on, we needed to really just keep on going on and on and on and on about a culture of invitation. We actually began to switch our emphasis to say actually we realized that we, we were working really hard on trying to get people to come to us. But there were some people like the Bangladeshi Muslims, 45% Muslim in our area, they were not going to come to us. So we needed to go to them. And so we began to change the way our, our midweek groups worked. So they were missional communities rather than um, so it wasn't everything, uh, uh, there wasn't an expectation that everyone was going to come to us, mm. but we were going to go to um, them, different cultures and different groups and so on. So, And to be honest, you know, we've been, we keep on pushing that, and I think we will always keep on pushing that to, to keep this culture of invitation, culture of going, culture of um, you know, looking outwards rather than within. And it's, it's, some, it's like a default for us. It's a safer thing not to do that, but the gospel compels us to go out. When we
3: first um, started gathering in Warrington 18 months ago, another church leader in the town, he kind of warned me about the Christian merry-go-round in Warrington. Uh, In Warrington, I believe there are um, 70 churches altogether, so there just seems to be a lot of kind of fragmentation, Um, and so um, in our church community today, about probably just under a third of the people that are part of our community today are people that me and Sarah have known relationally for the last maybe seven years. About a third of the people who are part of us um, would be uh, people who were already Christians but want to be part of a church plant and doing a new expression of church. And then about a third of our church will be prodigals or new Christians. So that's kind of the balance. And I'm grateful to God for that balance. I think if if we're... Been just a church full of uh, new Christians or prodigals. I think that would have been difficult for us. Also financially as well. It tends to be that the people that have joined us, um, who wanted to plant church, they're very faithful in their giving, mm. and so they've resourced us and have enabled us to express one of our values, which is um, giving to the poor. Um, so that's been that's been good for us. So yeah, we continue to preach our values, teach our values, we hold them up almost weekly, and also. Um, yeah, just to re-emphasize the whole thing about being a church on mission as well, and not being afraid to uproot everyone and go to a dif- different venue every now and then, rather than just sitting in rows facing a screen and doing church that way. We like to mix it up, maybe take our church to a coffee shop and do church there sometimes, which encourages people to um, be inviting people to church, because it's a, it's a third place, it's a neutral venue, um, So yeah, and also maybe doing something like picnic church as well, which is great. That mixes it up. And I was saying this morning that that's an advantage of being a church planter. That um, as, ch- as church planters, we have the privilege, but also the challenge of a blank piece of paper. And, you know, there is a lot of privilege in being a, a church planter because you really do get to kind of go back and do church as you feel the Lord is leading you to do. But also, there are a lot of challenges in being yeah. a church planter in as much as you, have, you generally have um, very few resources Um, no people or few people and no building but i reckon 18 months on that the pros outweigh the cons yeah wonderful
0: it's a question that was which i think is very significant how do we best look after the the campus or church plant pastor especially if they are part-time or they actually have a um, marketplace job what do we need to put in place how do we make sure that they are cared for, loved, and their families. Taking on board what you said, Grayson, which I thought was excellent with regards to the word of caution with regards to
2: our families. Any thoughts around that? Pastorally? Um, One of the mistakes that we made in our network um, from HTB early on was that we would um, send a church plant out and wave goodbye. And we'd send them with money. We'd give them 50,000 pounds. We'd send them with lots of people. Resources. Come back anytime, Rick. Could sorry, I... fifty thousand pounds. <laughs> that I need to stop there. They're all gulping. No, sorry. <laughs> well, they didn't want them to come back. <laughs> <And> <laughs> sorry. Yeah, come, come. <laughs> um, we don't do that anymore, funny enough. <laughs> but um, one of the things that that cultivated was you know, actually when we did go back, to, we were welcome to come back. But actually, the reality was that, that HP just wasn't able to help us because they had so much to do themselves. And more recently, we've had to create within our network the um, the resourcing capability and capacity to help each other and to network with each other and to create accountability. For pastors, so um, so, for example, in the East End, the churches that we've planted, we have a um, a monthly gathering where we get the uh, staff teams, and that includes volunteer leaders and that kind of thing when they can come to gather once once a month, and we have a learning community together where we invest in these people, and there's a lot of relational time, accountability time, praying for each other, and then um, two weeks after that, monthly is where I, I gather the senior pastors for, um, for two or three hours and we just share our lives together. And for that, you know, there's something about that, that time I love personally because they're friends and they know me and I'm able to be honest with them and they can say, well, what's going on here? And, I'm able, you know, I trust them enough to be able to tell them and, and vice versa. And so there's – but we've had to introduce that because it doesn't come naturally and it's a lot of extra time. Right but it's really worth it. And so um, I, I would say from my perspective, actually, we need to create networks for senior pastors so that they are protected and looked after because there's so much pressure on them. And um, like you're saying, you know, they're exhausted, and that just comes with the territory. Um, you know, For me, it was two years, and I think for most of ours in our model, it's two years before you just begin to realize that everyone goes in August and then September... Actually, the church month isn't going to fold. They've suddenly started coming back from their holidays or just visiting relatives and so um, on. But all that time is high stress. And the the things that have been said, I just want to say yes to. But actually, we need accountability and help to do that in practice. Mm -hmm. So you need someone saying, not just hearing it from a talk, but actually saying, so what are you doing? And uh, you're not doing it at the moment? Should we just have a conversation in a couple of weeks' time? And have you talked to your spouse about it, what have you put in place? Why don't you bring your diary next time? Let's help each other. I haven't put the dates in either, so let's do it together. Little things like that are just going to make all the difference. Very good. Very good. Yeah,
1: I think um, it depends if you're talking campus pastors or if you're talking detached leaders. Obviously, within AOG, we want to have apostolically led, relationally connected, which means that we've got people hopefully linking with people further down the road. And this accountability thing is, it's not going and confessing our sins. Sometimes it's just going and I need help, I need prayer, I need encouragement. Yeah. I need to know what about this or that. But the relationally connected is really important. Then in campus life for us, we've got uh, four campus leaders. One of them is by vocational And the others are, if you like, either voluntary full-time or full-time people. So we meet weekly with the full-time guys because they're putting more energy in, and Then they've got more stuff happening, and then monthly with the bivocational and the other guys and the wider team, which is our network team that ministered into the different campuses. So relationship is the key, though. You've got to keep, keep relationship, and then you, know, you can see the stress factors. You can see what's going on, see what's not going on, what's not sparking. Somebody who's normally arriving full of energy, who's weary, right. listen to people, what are they talking about, they're always talking about being out and away, and they've got young kids. Then we've got to push them back in. Sometimes there are people not talking about being out and away. We need to push them back out. <laughs> so it works both ways because, you know, we, we're trying to plant the church for Jesus. Getting that balance sure. of – and balance is the key, I think. So, and you can only do that relationally. You can't have forms or you can't have emails. Yeah, I did this, did that, because you can say anything you want to. So it's got to be a relationship,
0: really. Very good. Very good. Go on. Sorry, Lucas:
3: Yeah, the first six months that we planted the church that we were in, I, I went and got a, a, a normal job, so I went and worked for a caravan company, and actually, for me, having been in um, paid church work probably for like 20 years before that, it was good for me actually. It did me a lot of good because um, I actually I actually met people that were a long way from Jesus every morning when I went into the office. So that was refreshing and good for me, but I have to say that those six months were probably the most stressful of my life. Um, it was a, it was, um, a challenging time, um, but it was, it was a really rich time as well for me. Um, and, uh, yeah, I've got five young children between the age of 12 and 2, so life, life is busy for us. Um, but uh, one, way that we've, um, one way that we've made sure that it's a healthy thing is that we as a family, you know, it's very much that we as, a ch- we as a family are planting church. And our kids are kind of actively involved in church, doing different stuff. So, so that was good. But now, um, what, I, what me and my wife Sarah do is uh, there's a, a more mature couple who are on our trusteeship at the church. And uh, they've church planted before. They're further down there, like, further down the road. They've got grown-up children. And we meet them once a month um, separately and also together. And uh, our brief is you can ask us anything you want about our lives. And we've just, we've just covented to be um, completely open and transparent with our lives because we realize that we need to do that. And also this couple that do that for us, they were in a, a New Frontiers church plant where that didn't happen with the leader. And it ended up that two, three years into the plant, the whole thing went belly up. So they're really interested in obviously making sure that doesn't happen with us. So, uh, just yeah, you just got to have open lives, haven't we? And uh, God's enabled us to do that.
0: Great. I'd like to go to the floor, if we could, if there is a question. I knew there'd be one or two that would stimulate. Yeah.
2: Uh, Is is there any time, in terms of vision and culture of kind of the Mother Church planting out, is is there ever a time, if ever, in the life of the church plant where you would possibly say to that church plant maybe after five six years you know what you don't have to carry our cultural vision anymore you can kind of do what you want or would you always say no actually if you you always do kind of where we're going
1: for me i think if you plant in a campus so for us it's one church two locations at the moment we got other outreaches and the one in wales we haven't really got hold of as far as culture is concerned but the but the one church two locations that that is a campus so it's attached financially it's governance is in you know in legacy so everything about it will reflect legacy if a church so we're pulling in a church in um, September we're looking at planting this church with a building I said that one will stay outside of legacy for a bit if we feel we want to adopt it then we can Uh, but but whether we'll adopt it financially and all the rest of it so I suppose it depends where it sits if it's, if it's a legacy church expressing who we are, then we expect it to express legacy values, reg- legacy culture. We'll invest into it. We'll put the leaders in. We expect it to carry the DNA. Um, and the reason I do that is because I've, the last church I left, I put a guy in and I let the church go. And it's, it's probably not as good as it was and in the same place as it was 12 years on. Whereas if I'd have stayed over it, in reality, we could have helped it grow. I, th- I think it was a different gift mix. And so letting it go didn't help it. So I think you've got to assess, is this growing? Is it wanting? Mm. We've got to get away from the rebellious word because it's not rebellious. It's we want to do our thing. That's fine. But if you want to be part of us, then you need to do our thing. not You know what I mean? So yeah. it's when that clash comes, you need to work that out. And then we've got to be big boys and talk it through, work it through, be open and honest about it. I, I love what Rick is saying about, you know, you're sowing people. You're planting people. So if it's a plant, you're there. Get on with it. We'll help you in every way we can. We'll invest into you, resource you, but it's your thing that we are resourcing. If it's a campus, then it's our thing. You're part of the whole, and you sit with us as the team. It's a different concept in that sense.
0: Great. Another question? Is there another one? No, I'll go to another question here then. There may be one that comes uh, from that. Okay, please could you talk a little around the home cell model of church planting, including experiences, uh, if any. Is a cell identified as a church in its own right? If not, at what point does it become a church? Lucas, have you got any thoughts? Rick? Grayson? Whoever asked this question, this is a
2: showstopper. I mean, our model for planting, the main model, is to plant um, larger churches that are going to be generational churches from the get-go. So we're intentional about that. But actually within them, we're multiplying small groups all the time. So there's a cell model developing. And one of the things, it's slightly related to what Grayson said just now about each, what we call connect groups, have their own vision that is submitted to the overall vision of the church. But they can work out in practice, you know, we're called to reach this area. We're called to reach people in the workplace. We're called to reach these homeless people. Um, But it's all under the umbrella of making disciples, transforming communities, planting churches because our vision is to see Shadwell transformed by the love and power of Jesus. So, um, you know, if they're submitted to that, they're part of our, you know, we just keep on, well, we're trying to keep on multiplying um, connect groups um, that, develop their own vision that are kind of autonomous from each other, but they are submitted to the overall structure. One of the outworkings of a missional community with a missional focus is that there might come a stage where more people in that connect group are from outside the church than from inside our church because they've got so many guests who are coming from their local community, say, that we've actually articulated that there might be a connect group that says we no longer, we we feel that... um, What's going on here is not so much related to the church that birthed us, but actually this community that we're in. And so um, I would say if they want to kind of detach, I would say God bless you and just think about oversight. You know, it could be that there's oversight from a distance or they want to get oversight from another network. But um, that is an, almost a natural consequence of, of being highly missional, that you'll just get something which will there'll be a majority of people in that group who don't have any reference to the center. They just don't go to, you know, they just can't relate to what's going on across the road because it's all happening in their midweek group. So I think there's just different ways of of looking at it. But um, that's a kind of, I guess, a very centralized church view of something. So I I don't have much experience of cell by cell.
1: Um, Yeah, you can call a church whatever you want to a church. I think it was 1900s or something. It's self-sustaining, self-leading, and self-something else can't remember. Yeah, propagating and, yeah. So when is a group doing that? And I suppose you could say, it doesn't really matter. I think it's, it's about missional living. So if you've got a missional group, whether it's a church, whether it's, so we've got one group who just work in a building every fortnight, do cafe church, they do kids and youth there. That is our expression. We wouldn't call it a church. It's just an expression, sure. an outreach. Another one, we've got this building where we just do social work from it. We're just connecting with the community, helping them, getting get them whatever we can. But the church is seen as our base, if you like, into that community. So anything that carries the gospel into people's lives, champion it, celebrate it, and,
0: you know, hopefully it'll grow into whatever. <laughs> I think picking up on, on something that you said, Grayson, it's, there's a question regarding the issue of children going with their parents to be part of a church plant or campus. What measures can be put in place to ensure that their development in following Jesus is helped rather than hindered, especially if there are no or few the children their age. I wonder if uh, Lucas you would just speak into that with five children and
3: yeah well, the, the, this uh, mr Hybels he said that um, plan a um, for the fam- for for kids' discipleship is the family, yeah. and so Me and my wife, Sarah, we don't see um, the discipleship of our children being the responsibility of the church. We see the discipleship of um, our children as our responsibility. So how that manifests itself is that by hook or by crook, normally, at 8 o'clock each morning, uh, we have a gathering for 10 minutes around the breakfast table um, where we share a devotion together. We talk about Jesus and we pray together before um, we all go our separate ways. So, that's been helpful, actually. We've only really been doing that since, actually, we've been church planting. Um, so, practically, when we did step out to plant church, when I shared with our kids that we were going to plant church, I thought there'd be a great celebration around the table. Wow, Mum and dad are going to plant church. This is amazing. The reality was that I had four, we had four kids then. Four girls just burst out crying on me. So, um, it was quite a challenge, really, to um, bring our kids, bring our kids to the place where they recognize that this is what God was calling us to do. But God very kindly actually connected some families to us relatively quickly. So in, in church planting, I don't feel that our kids in terms of fellowship and friendship have suffered particularly at all because they have had a circle of friends relatively quickly around their lives, which is really important. But as I say, um, you know, plan A was definitely us as parents And uh, obviously these things are things to consider as you church plant because we can never church plant at the cost to our
2: kids. I'd love to add to that. That was great. And um, with our children, there were no other children in our church plant. So um, there were six, four, and two when we started. And all the children were born after we planted. So uh, the twins born within a month, but they were kind of two years younger, so our children have always been, there's never been any children ever who have been their age in our church plants. We've tried youth stuff. It's always been, it's had to be detached because there are, are not many youth in Tower Hamlets who are Christians. So um, we had one-on-one care from people who gave help from the church, which was amazing, so that when we were, in, we were doing ministry with the grown-ups, um, they got some amazing help. We got people who basically have given their their church lives to looking after our kids on sundays which is amazing um but as soon as they we've always said that if you don't want to go to church and you'd rather go somewhere else we'll facilitate that and so two out of our three now go to another church which is well resourced they'll cross town to to go to it's actually the hdb youth group and um, they've got loads of friends there and they they're committed to what they're doing what we're doing in our church we um they're not afraid of you know they'll come and join us sometimes but their their group is actually in another church and um, our youngest uh, who's 12 is kind of in transition with that but um he's trying to work out he wants to help the children in our church so you know we said you know, if you want to do that you can or you want if you want to join a youth group you can um whatever you want to do um so that you'll grow as a christian and so and again it comes down to it's them first um And if they have, I mean, one of the things I said to my wife was, you know, if if it's not working, we're going to go. We're not going to do this, because you're more important than this church plant. And um, I still say that to her. She says it to me sometimes.
1: (laughs) One One of the things that you find in the Old Testament is the whole thing of idolatry is you sacrifice the next generation on the altars to a false god. And I think Christian leaders for too long have sacrificed their children on the altars to a false religion that God is almost. We got to live for your church, not live for you. So God calls us and gifts us with family. So I think they are the most important thing. Um, I understand that kids go off and they, but we shouldn't. We should. We should fight against um, in in everything we do. So I, when I was building up the church, both churches, I had to sit down and think what I want to come here what I want my kids to grow up here? Do I like the people who are around? And do do my kids enjoy being part of this? One of the things I think um, that we learned very uh, very early is don't allow your kids to be pastor's kids. They're not. They're Grayson and Dell's kids. So I've had my kids expelled from youth because they were fighting. Um, You know, we've had all manner of problems and Stuff because they're, they're boys and they do all this stuff. And I said, not treat them exactly the same as you would anybody else because they are our kids. They're not the pastor's kids. So if you give them privilege, they'll take advantage. Then they'll end up abusing the very thing that's meant to bring discipline, correction to their lives and think they're better than. And that doesn't help anybody. Your church resents it. They resent it. So I think it's holistic in your approach to them. They, they're kids. So I don't want anybody talking about the pastor's kids are running around you know, they're doing this, I'd say, whoa, 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 they're not, they're my kids. They're just my kids. So you're allowed to tell my kids off the same as anybody else, but don't treat them or talk to me about them as if they're some kind of, you know, mm-hmm. they've got an anointing on them because they're my kids. Yeah. They haven't, they're rascals. Yeah. And actually, our church, our church was really set free by the fact that our kids were so naughty. So I'd have people coming up and say, well, if the pastor's kids can act like that, you know, there's hope for all of them. So being normal as a family, I think, is really important that your kids grow up understanding that
0: it's, it's just that holistic approach to, to church, I think. Wonderful. I think the only thing as well I, was at, I would add to that, out of, you know, excellent discussion point, you know, our journey has been with four children um, has been when we decided to... Um, plant the mansfield campus uh, I'd all we'd, we'd, my wife and i had said we wanted to create to create an adventure for them so actually it doesn't become um uh, drudgery to yeah. them yeah. there's actually a joy we're taking them on the adventure this is an adventure it also helped to bribe them with the mcdonald's afterwards <laughs> as well which is yeah. which is very what we did very yeah. yeah very important you know but but, but we just created an adventure, and I was, I have to say on a personal note, I was just something leaped inside of me of joy when we, we did a Father's Day video that the guys had put together with our kids' church, and, and, and my son was on there, and they were drawing pictures, and he drew me, which wasn't great, because there was this, <laughs> like, Mr. Blobby look-alike. And, but then he, he made this statement, he said, uh, there was uh, drawing questions, Helen was asking the questions, and, he just made a statement, yeah, my, my, this is the Mansfield building because my, dad, my daddy is passionate or loves Mansfield or something like that. And, I, and he'd caught something of the excitement of what we carry. Yeah. He'd caught because it was part of an adventure. So there's never been a, a time when the kids have said, oh, we don't want to go. And, of course, Sunday night, that's how we've launched that. You know, basically, they've done morning church. They want to go out again, They're, you know, thrashing around. But... You know they do. So I think as well, just make it an adventure. I think if you make it a chore, if you you're dragging yourself off there, then they'll pick that yeah, up as yeah. well. So I think that's just part of it as well. Are there any other questions? Just before we, we draw it to a close, we've got eleven minutes, but we're not going to go anything longer than that. Is there anybody else who would want to ask a question? No, I just want to ask Grace in this one question because he needs to answer this.
1: That sounds a bit ominous. There we
0: go. Yeah. <laughs> How does AOG plan to equip and mo- immobilize a church planting movement that moves in signs and wonders, instead of just being an attractional church-programmed church planters? If that makes sense. Okay. Um, I think we should all be naturally supernatural.
1: So if we're going to be whatever we do in, there's, I think the best example of this I've ever seen is uh, going to an alpha. It was an alpha course, and unlike us they this this was years ago i remember going there to just learn how to do alpha and the guy we were in a meeting like this and he just stood up and he said okay uh we're just going to invite the holy spirit now and he said holy spirit come in his nice you know southern voice and then he said there's somebody here you've got a problem with your shoulder somebody 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 four people walked out prayed with them nice and slowly went back to their seats and just said okay we're going to carry on and i thought If that had been in a Pentecostal meeting, we would have been rah, 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 screaming tongues, praying, shouting. Nobody would have come, and we would have just got all frustrated. So there's something about just naturally expecting God to be with us.
0: Very good.
1: Just naturally. And and I think there's far more words of wisdom and words of knowledge spoken across a coffee table than we give credit for. Because we don't feel a a shake and a rattle and roll, that's (laughs) set the Lord with our eyes closed. And we change our tone and voice and speak in Barnsley language, thus saith the Lord, you know. (laughs) Actually, God communicates constantly through us when we're open to him. So we are walking in the spirit, not waiting for, like Dave Gilpin says, a visitation. We are the carriers of God's spirit. So I think we just need to expect we need to be, and I think it's really important we model it to our people. Because what we've done is, we've almost had meetings, and then we've said, let's see if god will come as if he hasn't been here and now all we're waiting for the flashing lights and the now god is going to come and that's wrong theology but it's also wrong practice so we need to teach our people everywhere you are expect god to just give you a whisper that will help you to connect with somebody it hasn't you and just because god tells you something doesn't mean you have to say brother i've got a prophecy for you. well you know it's just like you know are you feeling okay today yeah it's, I just feel as if, you know, there's something that, you know, or whatever it is that just expresses the kingdom in a natural, loving, normal way. And if we did that, we'd build stronger churches. We'd have more mature Christians, not superficial people, and not flaky people always looking for the next fix or the next moment or movement. And then we'll build something with integrity that people will come along and say, you know, I like it there because when I go in there, I feel loved, I feel valued, and, and somehow I feel as if something happens for me. They don't know how to express it, but it's God doing his business in their lives. That, to me, is, is attractional, mm. actually, but it's, it's, it's clothed in supernatural rather than, you see, what we do in the, in the church, sorry, I'm, I'm blabbing a bit, but we always want to go back to the good old days of Pentecostalism, but Pentecostal is spirit-filled, not, not a style of doing things. So let's move away from it. Let's not be frightened of attractional. Yeah. If I'm booking a hotel, I don't look for the worst hotel and think, that'll be great for my life. I'm looking for someone that'll serve me well, that has got a good pool, nice jacuzzi. Oh, that's going to be great there. And then we go away and enjoy the moment. So why would it be any different in the house of God? We have to treat people with respect. People are used to being treated decently. Let's not have a two-star church in a four-star world. Let's elevate all that attractionism, but then with supernatural in the middle of it, of yeah. God contaminate, contaminating the atmosphere, people get in something from it. They walk out, think, "I don't know what that was, but I want to go back." Great. That to me, is a supernatural uh, organization. Wonderful.:
0: Wonderful. Amen.: Amen. <laughs> Well, thank you very much to these guys here, to Grayson and to Rick and for Lucas.